Hello and welcome to another RFA podcast. This time we're going to be revisiting an accident that occurred more than 30 years ago, but is still very relevant today. And one of those things that uh, has got weaved into all of the RFA educational programs where it's applicable to remind uh, our members of the potential accountabilities or responsibilities for poor, uh, poor performance. If we uh, head back 30 years, and it's hard to imagine that uh, it has slipped away so quickly, but 30 years ago on May the 9th in uh, Nova Scotia, uh, 26 miners lost their lives in the uh, Westray coal mining accident. And uh, it uh, reverberated across Canada in regards to uh, what occurred that day as a fallout from the investigation. And it continues to guide what's happening uh, in health and safety responsibilities uh, on a day-by-day basis. It's kind of a dog uh, that has, uh, it's a big dog that has no teeth. Uh, That's my personal opinion, uh, or it has limited bites so far. Uh, And you'll understand uh, why I make this comment uh, at the opening of this podcast. As you're aware, we're celebrating 75 years as uh, an organization. And uh, one of the uh, undertakings that we have done uh, as a team is try to put together 75 bullets of uh, things that have happened uh, in the 75 years that we've been in existence. And what we tried to do is identify things that, uh, in fact, have uh, helped guide the ORFA uh, in regards to uh, some of its responsibilities. So let's go back to May 9th, 1992 uh, and uh, revisit what happened that day so that we might uh, again learn why a mining accident has some sort of implications to the uh, recreation industry. So uh, a quick overview, Uh, 26 people went down in the mine that day. Uh, believing that uh, they were going to put in their day's work and go home to their families and uh, nothing was farther from the truth. Now, if you take a, a hard look at uh, the information that's available uh, on the web uh, or on the web, um, and what you're looking for is Westray, uh, W-E-S-T-R-A-Y, coal mining accident. And you'll get into all of the deep details. I'm going to do a a fairly high and fast overview of what uh, happened that uh, and that day and what caused uh, uh, the ripple effect from coast to coast to coast here in Canada. So ultimately, uh, there was an explosion that took place uh, regrettably and uh, 26 miners lost their lives. Uh, so they did uh, recover 11 uh, of the individuals that passed away that day. But uh, even as we uh, speak, 15 uh, continued to be entombed uh, in the mine uh, that exploded on uh, May 9th, 1992. So it's... Uh, a very sad reminder in this community that in fact a lack of respect for health and safety responsibilities can have some real uh, negative outcomes. So if you take a look at what happened, we're going back 30 years ago, uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, they got involved and they started to take a look at uh, what were the contributing factors to the explosion. So as much as health and safety representation inside the province would have been engaged, uh, this was one of the first uh, real events where the Royal Canadian Mounted Police took an active uh, role in conducting an investigation uh, and a criminal investigation in regards to what had occurred. And in the end, uh, there was 
52 uh, non-criminal counts of uh, operating an unsafe uh, mine under the Nova Scotia Occupation Health and Safety Act. And uh, two of the mine uh, managers are charged with 26 counts of manslaughter and criminal negligence causing death. And the legal process started to unwind. And it took a lot of twists and turns over five years. This was kind of new ground that was being covered at this level in regards to accountability for a health and safety incident. So we had uh, a criminal investigation happening, and then ultimately we had the uh, typical occupational health and safety investigation uh, going on at the same time. So as we uh, point out in our training courses, uh, governing agencies don't come together at a table and uh, decide what they're going to investigate they all take on their own individual investigations and they don't harmonize Uh, they may consult with each other but the intent is not to create a path of um, of responsibility that aligns with each other they'll all be independent uh, investigations and we learned that firsthand in the recreation industry with the Tim Hickman accident when we saw all the different uh, governing agencies parachute into London uh, that fateful day that uh, Tim's ice resurfacer exploded and it included the uh, local police and health and safety officials and there was a variety of other governing agencies that each come in and started to uh, take a look at the regulated responsibilities uh, and then determine what had happened on that event. And this is the exact same thing that happened uh, ultimately out in Westray. Now, if we go back 30 years ago, it was a different time, uh, a different era. And health and safety uh, was starting to get traction, but it's nowhere near uh, where it is on the landscape uh, that we all know today. Uh, we were making some uh, really big changes 30 and 40 years ago in regards to the way that business was, in fact, being uh, conducted. And so we were uh, forging uh, what would be considered to be uh, how others would be held accountable, responsible uh, in respect to uh, the way things that were um, occurring uh, in, inside uh, different establishments. So what we learned uh, as part of the investigation, as the different agencies investigated, that uh, there was... Um, Uh, predictability uh, in regards to what happened at Westray and the Justice uh, Richard uh, who gave a final report ultimately uh, um, wrote a a really strong uh, article uh, book uh, basically on the Westray story and he referred to as a predictable path to disaster and ultimately what he did was he took a look at all the contributing factors uh, to that event and basically said that uh, had anybody looked at it uh, in a very uh, self and uh, health and safety conscientious lens they would have been able to um, identify that in fact the potential for what happened on that may day in 1992 uh, was in fact going to happen so getting down to the short strokes um, in the end the managers that in fact were uh, uh, charged uh, were not held accountable and uh, lots of reasons for that Uh, The legal system uh, works uh, in different ways and ultimately it comes down to um, legal accountability. 
and how well uh, you are uh, positioned with a legal team. And they were positioned very well. And they made arguments in regards to who would be held responsible. And at that time, it wasn't very clearly defined through law in regards to accountabilities and responsibilities. So what happened federally, we did a couple of things. So as much as the RCMP were involved with the investigation, uh, there was no legal um, requirement for this to occur. This was undertaken by the local establishment, uh, and uh, they uh, got involved um, because of the, um, the, the, uh, the event itself. So in the end, we ended up what's referred to as the West Trade Bill or Bill C-45. And ultimately, it moved significant breaches under the Health and Safety Act that resulted in a loss of life into the Canadian Criminal Code. And it became law in 2004 and has been in existence ever since. Now, Bill C-45 is one of those interesting pieces of legislation because if you know anything about federal government, it, the wheels turn very slowly yet efficiently. Um, and usually what happens when a bill is uh, presented, it needs uh, three readings. And so it's presented, it is taken away, it is vetted through different committees and levels of government, it's brought back to a second reading, it goes away again, it's given more sober thought, second thought, and then ultimately it's brought back for a third reading. And if it passes all three readings, then it becomes law. Uh, and in some circumstances, uh, this process can take years to get from uh, one end of the bill to the other. And if there is a change of government uh, in that time frame, uh, the bill uh, may uh, be put to rest, meaning that it has to be resurrected and started all over again with the new government to see if, in fact, they want to buy into that plan. So Bill C-45 was one of those interesting processes because it's rare that uh, all levels of government that are sitting in the house will come together in one train of thought. And in this case, they did. And an unprecedented event, all three readings happened on the same morning, uh, were passed unanimously, and the bill came into uh, law fairly quickly. And that had a lot to do with the outcry from all Canadians in regards to the lack of accountability that um, happened in Westray. So what happened was we moved it into the criminal code and it basically states that everyone who undertakes or has authority to direct how another person does work or perform a task is under a legal duty to take reasonable steps to prevent bodily harm to that person person or any other person arising from the worker task. So what's that mean? Melt it down saying, look, at you've got an accountability and responsibility as a supervisor or manager to make sure that everyone is safe and is going to go home at the end of the day. And in fact, uh, if there is a, a situation where there is a loss of life, then there can be a criminal investigation and then ultimately uh, no different than if uh, uh, another tool such as a gun or knife was used to take somebody's life, that if you fail under the Health and Safety Act uh, to act appropriately, then you're going to be charged criminally for the, that loss of life. 
So uh, obviously that's very heavy handed uh, and it will take a, a lot of soul searching on each specific case, but uh, there are uh, a fair amount of uh, situations where Bill C-45 at least has been tried to be applied and sometimes successfully has applied. What you need to understand that it sits out there as a potential tool to be used by those that are going to investigate any legal situation uh, that uh, may come into play. So where's the overlap between Westray and the recreation industry? Well, if you've uh, joined me on other podcasts or read uh, any of the technical corners or some of the documents that have been put out, uh, you'll know that uh, I've got a little bit of a soft spot for the three lives that were lost on October 17, 2017. And uh, you will have heard me say on more than one occasion that uh, as much as the media would like to portray and demonize ammonia for being the uh, element that killed those three people in the plant room that day, nothing is farther from the truth. I, I've said it publicly before and I will continue to say it. It was contributory negligence caused by the uh, senior staff uh, in the community of Fernie, BC that in fact uh, was the root cause to the accident that day. And I remain adamant behind that. So why do I say that? Well, if you go back and take a look at what happened in Fernie, you will see that in fact that one of the individuals that was killed that day was the rec director and he in fact had made an appeal through the budget process on several occasions for the replacement of the piece of equipment that failed that day, the flooded chiller, for its replacement. And that was a recommendation by both the service contractor and the person involved uh, with the decision-making process, the director himself. And uh, the decision-makers uh, in that community decided uh, to try and uh, push it past its life expectancy and not take the recommendation of both of the refrigeration contractor and the director and, uh, and not invest in, in the changes. So if you take a look at what happened in Fernie, it was no different than what happened in Westray. When the accident occurred, uh, one of the first on the scene was the RCMP and they took... Uh, control of the situation and then the uh, governing primary governing agencies being the health and safety uh, governance uh, NBC and technical standards British Columbia which is this the brother organization to our TSSA got involved and they wrote a very detailed report and did a, a a fairly deep forensic analysis of what happened that day and has shared that information for us to be able to move forward so it's five years since Fernie uh, and uh, we reached out recently to the RCMP in British Columbia and wanted to know uh, if they had closed their file because TSBC had closed their file. We wanted to know if, in fact, the RCMP had. And we got a letter back fairly quickly that basically stated that, no, the file for Fernie BC was very much still open and being investigated uh, out there. And we can only assume uh, that uh, they're uh, trying to um, maneuver through BLC 45 to see if, in fact, that will be one of the governing agencies that will be, uh, uh, or governances that will be used to uh, determine how they might move forward with that file. So we continue to watch. So uh, we did uh, create a technical corner that dives a little bit deeper into the 30-year anniversary of Westray, uh, and it gives a lot more detail. It's available on our website uh, if, in fact, you have uh, any um 
uh, interest in uh, going a little bit deeper into the details that uh, we've shared here uh, in this podcast. The uh, other thing that I strongly recommend that if you have not taken uh, ORFA's Legal Awareness 2, then uh, that's one of those things you might want to put on your to-do list uh, because uh, we do a deep dive uh, into uh, Bill C-45 and ultimately the obligations of uh, supervisory and administrative staff in our industry. So hopefully I've given you some food for thought. Once again, thanks for popping in and uh, have uh, a listen to uh, some of the, the information that rambles around in, in my head from time to time. And hopefully you've uh, got some, uh, some benefit of the time you've spent with us. So stay safe out there and I look forward uh, to uh, our next podcast together. Take care. Mm-hmm.